The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. You're going to keep your Bible open there to Jonah chapter 3. Um, when we last saw Jonah last week, he had been vomited up onto the beach. And I want you to imagine what that scene must have been like uh, for Jonah. Um, his skin uh, would have not just been white, bleached by the stomach acids, but I imagine that he's covered in whatever was in the fish's stomach that came out with him. Um, I think he would have looked and smelled completely awful, and by some of your faces, you know that smell. Um, I kind of imagine that he would have laid on the beach there for a while, getting his bearings, letting the, letting the water wash over him, um, and also trying to figure out in his own mind, is what just happened, like, was that real? Maybe you've had one of those really strange experiences, not, probably not this kind of strange experience. You probably had a strange experience where you spend a few minutes just trying to orient your brain and wondering, is that something that really happened? And I imagine that's Jonah. Well, then Jonah hears a voice, and Joe read this a moment ago. The voice said, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. So this is an opportunity for us. We need, to, we need to flip back in my Bible. We need to flip back a page to Jonah chapter 1. And I'm just going to read 1 verse 1. It says this, and 2. It says this. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. So here's the message. Announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. So if you remember this from a few weeks ago. God is in heaven looking on earth and the wickedness of the Ninevites, the wickedness of the Assyrians, like comes up before him. He becomes aware of their sins. So he wants Jonah to go and convict them of their sin, to point out their sin, to call them to something. And this time, Jonah listens. If you don't know this, it's a 500-mile walk from where Jonah was likely deposited, and that's, that's a euphemism, where Jonah is deposited on this, uh, the shore. It's a 500-mile walk from where Jonah is to Nineveh. This week, I looked, um, I looked that up, and if you walked 187 hours straight, you would walk for 500 miles. Those who came west on the Oregon Trail walked about 20 miles a day. And they were highly motivated. So they walked probably for, that, that 500 miles would have been probably 25 to 30 days of walking. I imagine what, what did Jonah think about? What was on his mind as he walks 500 miles there alone with his thoughts? Alone with his repentance? Alone with his regrets? And he gets to the city and on day one he walks in to the city and he shouts this. Essentially, in 40 days, you're all going to die. Can you imagine that scene? This guy comes walking into your town, and he says, in 40 days, you're all going to die. In Hebrew, it says this, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. And I once heard someone explain it this way. Jonah's message was, in 40 days, turn or be turned. You have the opportunity, Nineveh, to turn from your sin, or God is going to turn you. 
And as I read through this, these eight words, we have to think like what an amazingly terrible sermon that Jonah's message was. We would probably have some questions if someone walked into our town today and said this to us. We probably have questions like, well, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Why 40 days? Why are we going to die? Like, what, what, have, we, what have we done? Who's going to kill us? Right? And Jonah's, Jonah's, sermon, Jonah's sermon doesn't answer any of those questions. And maybe we're tempted to think that his message was longer. One of the things that we've talked about a number of times over the past few years, when we, especially reading through the Gospels, like we, we have just enough of the story. This might be one of those opportunities to think, okay, well, maybe, maybe, maybe Jonah's sermon was more nuanced than this. Maybe he had included some other stories. But the reality of it is when we look at the other prophets, the prophets are that other place in the Bible where we all give up our Bible reading plan for the year. Right? Usually it's, it's March when you hit Leviticus. And then it's a little bit later in the year when you get to Isaiah and Ezekiel and all of these other prophets. They're very wordy. And Jonah's message, Jonah's book is not wordy. Which we ought to ask some questions about why that is. So Jonah's book is not necessarily about the prophecies he's giving, but it's about the prophet himself. So I think this is Jonah's message. I think from everything we've seen from Jonah up to this point, this is Jonah's message. And it's the bare minimum of a message. It's zero effort on Jonah's part. And when we're going to read next week in chapter 4, if you haven't finished out this story, what we know about Jonah is he hates the Ninevites. He's going to walk into Nineveh. He's going to say, you're all going to die in 40 days. I've done my job and now I can go back home. Right? That's Jonah's mindset here in this text. He's going to go and do this thing that God has forced him to do. He didn't want to do it in the first place. So he ran away from God 2,500 miles on his way to the other side of the world. And now God has him. Okay, Jonah, go and do this thing. And Jonah's like, okay, I'm going to go do it. And he walks into town. And he says, in 40 days, you're all going to die. And you kind of have this mindset like, and I'm out of here. Right? Drop mic. Thank you, Bobby. But instead, this is what's really strange. Instead of responding to Jonah with questions. Who are you? What have we done? Who's going to destroy us? Why 40 days? Instead of responding with questions, the people do something strange. They repent. And that's only strange if we haven't been reading the rest of the book, right? It's not really a surprise if we've been paying attention because have you noticed throughout the book of Jonah, that all of the wrong people are doing the right things. All of the wrong people have been doing the right things. And then the right person, Jonah, he's doing all of the wrong things. And this sermon of Jonah's is not, it's not an example for us to follow, Right? This is not the perfect example of, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go downtown and I'm going to write 40 days, you're all going to die and stand on the street corner in Scott's Bluff. And then people are just going to figure out what they're supposed to do. We want to be careful and not read into Jonah's message that this is how we should evangelize. 
This is how people, this is how we should tell people the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not, this is not that. See, they repented, not because of the greatness of Jonah's message, but because of the greatness of who God is. See, God could take the words of an apathetic, reluctant, disobedient prophet and turn them into something else, into a message of hope, and they respond. And what's neat is Nineveh is indeed turned over, but it's not turned over in judgment. It's turned over into mercy and grace. And they, they begin to demonstrate this. The text tells us that the people of Nineveh did two things. The first is they believed God's message. Right? It's right there in verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And here's the second thing. They declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. Now, this doesn't make any sense to us in 2022. But they literally put on burlap and they would have covered themselves in ashes and sat on ashes to show their sorrow. They believed that God was going to destroy them. And we might ask some questions like, how do we know if Jonah's sermon is this terrible? Like, how did they figure all of this out? Well, I think we can tell just by humanity in general, we know that we fall short of something, right? The people of Nineveh were wicked, evil people. And they believed that God was going to destroy them. They weren't ignorant of their sins. Their nation had waged violent war and demonstrated incredible cruelty for generations. This is just the way the world operated in, in this day and age. Like your nation was on top for a while. And then you did something to anger the gods. We talk, we've talked about this, the localized, regionalized gods. We've done something to anger the gods. And now the gods are angry with us. They're mad at us. And they're going to bring us down. Also, the people would have kind of been primed for this moment culturally. They had recently experienced two plagues and a solar eclipse. Within 25 years of this happening, they had experienced two plagues and a solar eclipse. And see, people in this day, when they had a plague, their assumption was the gods were angry with them. If there's a solar eclipse, their assumption is the gods are angry with us. So in their minds, right, we want to we put ourselves in their minds. We want to get into their headspace. The things they had been seeing and experiencing were prepping them for this. They didn't have science like we do today. They wouldn't have known what an eclipse was. This was God angry with them. And here's the thing. It doesn't mean that their repentance isn't honest. One of the questions that we might ask as we read through these different Bible stories is like, okay, but were they, were they legitimate conversions? Did they mean it when they repented of their sin? Well, God uses all sorts of circumstances in our lives to till the soil of our hearts, to draw us to him. So they believed this message, but it didn't just end with belief. And this is something that's really important for us today as we consider God in our lives, as we consider our relationship between the book of Jonah and us. They didn't just believe the message. They took action. They fasted and they wrapped themselves in burlap. See, they did something concrete 
that indicated their belief was legitimate. See, they did something. They didn't just believe it. They did something. They took a step. And I know I've said that twice now, and I'm going to say it again. They didn't just believe it. They did something. It made a difference. These were outward demonstrations of what was happening inside of them. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is preaching a similar message of repentance. Right? John, is, John is out in the wilderness. He's out by the river and all of these people are coming to him. And he's preaching this message and he's, he's baptizing those that want to be different, that have repented of their sin. He's baptizing them. And one day the religious leaders come out to watch and he denounces them. He calls them a brood of snakes. He says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. See, this message that John was, was telling these religious leaders was simple. It's not enough to believe it's not enough to know the right thing I ought to do and know the wrong thing that I ought not to do and to know the difference, right? I have, to, I have to do something with that. It's not enough for me to believe that God is who he says he is. It's not enough for me to believe those things. There's something that's required of me. We spent about 15 minutes last week in our elders meeting talking about this. Like there's, there's something I have to do. There's a response that is necessary if I'm going to be obedient to God. I can't just believe the message. I can't just think, oh yeah, that makes sense. I like that message. I believe it's true. We have to do something. The NIV says this from that text in Matthew 3. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Maybe your plants haven't survived over the past couple days that you have recently planted. We're in the middle of dealing with that right now. Right? But when you, when you plant a tomato plant, at some point, you're going to get tomatoes. See, that's the, that's the fruit of what you have planted. If you plant an apple tree, apple seeds, you hope to get an apple tree. See, that is, that is planting something. And what John the Baptist is talking about here is producing fruit in keeping with repentance. So what I'm going to do when I, when I believe that God is who he says he is, I'm actually going to live differently. And at some point, and we would like that point to be sooner rather than later, right? At some point, when I, when I plant the seeds of repentance, when I don't just believe what God is calling me to, but I live my life differently, when I plant those seeds of repentance, something good is going to grow. See, that's going to be the fruit that is in keeping with repentance. And it's going to be something that's obvious 
to everyone around us. See, what's happening here in Nineveh, even though the message was awful, even though Jonah's intent was poor, even though Jonah's desire was not to see the Ninevites repent, and maybe you're wondering where I get that from, read chapter 4. See, God doesn't function based on what Jonah does or doesn't do. God can take something like what Jonah has and he can do something amazing with it. And the Ninevites get this. They understand there's more to it than believing. And they behave differently and they are changed. They're actually changed people. Did they really repent? Well, it's not just the people, but it's the king. And I love this story. Verse 6, chapter 3. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. One of the things that I encourage you to do as you're reading through the Bible is look for words and thoughts that are repeated. And what you'll do is you'll start to see, you'll start to see trends. And there's an interesting word that describes what the king of Nineveh did. And that word is down. And if you were to go back, and I've done this in my Bible, I put a box around every example of the word down up until this point. We've seen it multiple times. We saw that Jonah went down to the port of Joppa. And bought a ticket on a ship going to Tarshish, 2,500 miles away. Then Jonah went down into the hold of the ship. When he was thrown into the water at his own request, he went down to the heart of the sea. He went down to the roots of the mountains. See, Jonah has gone down, down, down. And each time he goes down, he goes further into apathy. He goes further into reluctance and he goes further into disobedience. And when we hear God's call on our lives and we flee from that call, the further we go, the more inwardly focused we are on ourselves. And that's Jonah, right? Jonah's you remember Jonah's space that he's in consistently gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until he's in the belly of a fish and he can't go anywhere else. There's nowhere else for him to go. See, Jonah has gone down into apathy, reluctance, and disobedience. But the king of Nineveh did not step down into disobedience and rebellion. He stepped down into humility. And this is such a, such a counter to Jonah. Jonah has been going down to get away from God, and the king of Nineveh steps down to be near to God. And again, here's this example. Here's the wrong person in the story doing the right thing. Of all of the people who are responsible for the evils of the Assyrians, the king is number one on that list. He's probably the wrongest person 
to respond correctly to God. But see, he doesn't just stop there. See, he doesn't just believe this is true. He takes action. The text tells us that he, too, put on burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just think about himself. He actually does something that Jonah is supposed to do. He gathers his leaders, his nobles, and they send this decree throughout the city. This is verse 7. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. See, now that's a sermon. It's not just saying we're all going to die 40 days from now. This is the sermon that Jonah was to give. And this is only in the NLT, but as we were reading this in staff meeting last week in verse 8, it says everyone must pray earnestly to God. And as we hit that phrase, I thought, wait a minute, I think we've seen this before in the NLT. I went back up. It's in chapter 2, verse 7. As my life, this is Jonah in the belly of the fish. As my life was slipping away, I remember the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. See, it's not just the king of Nineveh that prays earnestly. It's Jonah. But there's a difference which isn't revealed until the next chapter. See, we read Jonah 3 and we think, oh, Jonah's repented of his sin. Sort of. When we hit chapter 4, you'll see it doesn't lead to any life change. And as I think of Jonah, I think of how many times I have prayed earnestly to God in the midst of my sin and not been any different. I feel bad for my sin in that moment. I feel guilty for my sin in that moment. And I like, it's, it's a legitimate prayer. I think legitimately Jonah's saying, God, save me, deliver me. I think he means it. But as we're going to see, it doesn't lead to life change. And yet here we have this king of Nineveh praying earnestly he tells the people to wear mourning clothes, to, to pray to God and turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. In short, what the king of Nineveh and his nobles are telling the people is this, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. See, he's telling them to be different. They were to prove by the way they lived that they had repented of their sin and turned to God. They were to demonstrate this. This isn't just about avoiding this punishment from God. Because we're sinful people and God's angry and he's just and he's going to bring this on us if we don't repent. So we better, we better say the right words. We better, we better do say these things. What the king is calling them to is action. And you got to love the end of his statement. It says, who can tell? Perhaps even God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. 
See, Jonah, we're seeing that all of the wrong people are doing all the right things. This upends our mindset. So how can we be sure, right? We ask the question, how can we be sure if the repentance is sincere? How can we know if our repentance is sincere? Well, here's the end of the chapter. It says, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. See, God knew that the people were sincere, not by their words of repentance, but by their actions that demonstrated it. See, it was, it was a changed life that was the proof of the repentance. It was a changed life. Because God knows they did more than mouth honest words. And we've seen people cry out to God throughout this book. We've seen the sailors do it. We've seen Jonah do it. And now we see the king and the nobles of Nineveh doing it. And this is the story of God's grace that's available to everyone. Jonah reveals that each one of us have one of two choices. One of two options available to us when we come into contact with God's justice. The first of which is we can reject it. We can, we can hear God calling us to him. We can have an awareness of our sinfulness. We can have an awareness of our brokenness. We can have an awareness of how our sin is affecting other people. And we can reject that. We can refuse to participate in it. We can place our own ideals and our own ideas above God's grace. We can think we know better than God. We can claim to participate in it verbally without actually participating in it. And these are the kinds of things that, that ought to cause us to be introspective. These are the kinds of stories that ought to cause us to reflect on our own lives. And this isn't about needless guilt and shame because those things aren't of God. But what it is about is conviction. See, one of the things Jonah is calling us to is do our words match our deeds? Do our deeds match our words? Do our words match our thoughts? What's really happening inside of us? So we can be apathetic, we can be reluctant, and we can be disobedient. When we are faced with this choice, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Go to work. Tell people about Jesus, which probably doesn't mean what you think it means. We can be disobedient in the midst of that, or we can accept it. See, we can accept the reality that God can judge us. This is the space where the Ninevites are living right now. We are sinful people. We're creating all of this turmoil and trouble all over the world, not to mention what it's doing to our own society. And God is not happy about it. That solar eclipse, that plague, like those are just, those are just warnings teeing us up for God's judgment. 
See, we can accept that there's a standard of right and wrong that we don't set. I think this is really hard for us in our day and age. We think we know what's best. So we have established our own set of rules, our own set of right and wrong. And God's standard isn't like that. God's standard doesn't change with the times or according to cultural norms. Because the cultural norms of this day was to be a powerful nation state and destroy everyone else. And God's like, nope, that's not how I want you to function. And when our wickedness is noticed by God, he's going to bring it to us. That's what conviction is. This is why we feel bad when we sin. Because God is revealing our sinfulness to us. And when we accept this mercy, when we accept this grace, we are accepting the call to participate in it. God's mercy and grace is more than just about us. It's more than just about our own response. God's mercy and grace is how I treat other people. How I treat my neighbor, how I treat my coworkers. See, that's what it means to participate in it. Participate doesn't mean I've been saved, so I'm good. Participate means I'm going to join God in what he's doing. And part of that looks like loving people enough to tell them they're sinners. Not like Jonah did. But with sympathy and empathy and kindness and honesty. And like we talked about last week, we remember who we were before we became followers of Christ. We remember that separation that we had from God. So when we're talking to people who are similarly separated, we're not harsh with them. We're not mean with them. This ought to make us more sympathetic and empathetic toward their plight. Right? When Jesus saw the crowds, what was his driving emotion? It was compassion. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. This is our call. We call people who are sinners to believe in the message of Jesus. We call people who are sinners to action, to produce fruit in keeping with repentance, to live differently, to act like what they believe matters, to live differently. And for our message to be effective, we have to be honest in that, right? See, we have to live differently. It's not enough for us to just call other people to live differently. I'm not saying perfectly because none of us are perfect. That's God's grace. That's, a, that's what God's grace is for. But we are to live in ways that demonstrate that we have been affected by this grace. We must be changed. We must bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The works that we do, the acts that we do, the way we treat other people, See, that's the fruit that we bear. Paul writes this in Romans 6. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? See, what we're talking about today, ultimately from Jonah chapter 3, is this is more than just belief. This is, this is action. If all I do is believe that Jesus 
is Lord and there's no action to back it up, then I'm not living the faithful life. I'm not being changed. I'm not being different. And the response to God's grace is to not live in sin. Well, God's going to forgive me anyway, so I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. That's what Paul is warning us against here. Because according to what Paul says, we're dead to our sin. Well, when did, when did that happen? When did we die to our sin? Well, Paul continues, or have you forgotten that we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism? That when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. Have you been baptized? Have you been in the water? More Paul. For we died and were buried by Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. See, what baptism is about is death, burial, and resurrection. It's about being new. It's about being different. In our day and age, we don't, we don't wrap ourselves, like, if I've become aware of my sinfulness as a non-Christian, what I don't do is I don't wrap myself with burlap and set in ashes. That's not my response. See, in our, in our time, the time we live in past the New Testament, our response is to be baptized. That's what we do. That's our first step, actually, of obedience, is to be baptized. And when we turn from our evil ways, we stop our violence, and we new, live newly because we've been made new in the water. And it's not because there's anything magical in the water. It's not because there's anything spiritual in the water. That water in our baptistry comes from the Scotts Bluff water supply. There's no detour to heaven to, make, to do something special with it. But it's not, it's not just water in that it signifies and means something else. And as we read through John chapter 3, we're presented with this contrast between the disobedient response of the supposed godly Jonah and the godless and wicked Ninevites who actually respond to God's call. Again, we have this choice. Jonah's the story of the prophet who knows all the right things but chooses all the wrong ones. And he does this because his pride and his arrogance and his selfishness gets in the way of doing what God calls him to do. And you don't have to be a prophet for that to be true of you. I'm sure some of us here today do not respond to God because our pride, our arrogance, and our selfishness gets in the way. Some of us here are filled with self, and this prevents us from joining God and his mission. It prevents us from enjoying the blessings that God has for us. And my prayer for you is that you would see the story of Jonah. You would see the opportunities for second chances that God is consistently setting before you. And you would choose to be obedient. That you'd be like the king of Nineveh. You would step down from your throne 
in humility. You'd mourn your sin and you'd repent of it. And you would go down into the water and you'd be made new. And it's no coincidence that this story involves water. There are about 80 million sermons from Jonah that we are not giving. Do not miss the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the story of Jonah. Don't miss the death, burial, and resurrection of Jonah in the story of Jonah. Don't miss that that takes place necessarily in water. And for my Christian friends, we need to remember and celebrate the life that we have been given. We're dead to our sins because of the new life that God has offered us. And we need to live newly. We need to live differently. We need to act differently. We need to behave differently. We need to think differently. We need to talk differently. And what we need in order for that to happen is the Spirit. God's Spirit dwelling within each one of us. And you only get that when you're in relationship with God. For those of you who aren't in a relationship with God and you're wondering why you don't have that, because you don't have the spirit dwelling inside of you. And you're never going to get that thing until you do. You might have hints of it. You might have little tastes of what new life looks like. And those are graces of God. But you will not fully be who God is calling you to be without the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. And I urge you, my Christian friends, to live differently. To call upon God. Ask him for his strength because the Lord knows we can't do it under our own strength, right? There's no way. I've tried. So have you. We can only do it with the strength of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for your word this morning. I'm thankful for the example of of Jonah showing us, demonstrating for us what we ought not do. And I'm thankful for the example of the Ninevites showing us an example of what we ought to do. Help each one of us to have the desire, and we know this comes from you. Help each one of us to have the desire to step off the thrones in our own lives, to set aside our own will, as we talked about when we went through the Gospel of Mark, to give up our own way, to take up our cross, and to follow you to set aside our desires, our will, and live the life that you have called us to. For those who are dealing with conviction from from your spirit, I pray pray that you would continue to be merciful in the way you reveal sin. And that those who are who have yet to make a decision to follow you, that they would do so today. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.